One of the reasons why we gather as the church every week, and hopefully for the majority of us, we're gathering multiple times through the week, and that is to encourage each other. It is very easy today to look around at what's happening in the world and be incredibly overwhelmed. And in fact, the more people that I talk to through the week that end up in my office or phoning me or an email is that there is a great number, not only Christians, but people in general that are overwhelmed with everything that is going on in our world. And just, just to name, we need to name these things too, okay? We're going to name them. Obviously, we have the possibility of a third world war that's happening over in the Ukraine. We have just come through here in Canada having the Emergency Act invoked and then revoked in this incredible season of the last two years that we have gone through this pandemic. And now, as we go to the grocery store, inflationary things like we have never seen. We're now paying gas in Canada that we've never paid before. And this week, it's going to go up over $2 a liter. Like These are things that we as a country, as some of us have, as individuals, have never before faced. And these are really happening. Okay? Now, you may uh, be working through processing all of this information and, and maybe even trying to not watch the news, to not think about these things, but the reality is our world is incredibly overwhelming today. And for our Christians, we need to be encouraged in the midst of this. And you're not alone. Because part of the reason why God spoke to John about the visions that are in Revelation was to encourage His people. You see, the context of the letter of Revelation, and we've talked about this a number of times, but I want to remind you as we come near the end of the book. You see, the context in which John writes this letter to the seven churches that are described in chapters 2 and 3 are because there has been tremendous persecution go against the Christians. John himself has been uh, isolated. He's been exiled to the island of Patmos. All of the other apostles of the early church at this point in time in history, which it was written around 90 to 95 AD, have been killed. The church fathers have not even come into existence yet. There's no strong leadership in the church. The church has been scattered across Asia Minor and being persecuted and God, in the midst of this, gives visions to John to encourage the church. 
And we've gone through a lot of passages that, that talk about the things that are to come, whether we're talking about the Antichrist, whether we're talking about persecution and strife and suffering and all of these things. God has told His people these things are going to happen. But He's done something else too in the midst of that. And that is that He's encouraged His people. And I want to challenge you this morning as we open up to see what God has planned for those that love Him, what our future actually looks like. You see, God loves us so much and He prepares us for these difficulties, but He also reminds us in the midst of these overwhelming situations, don't lose hope. And remember the things that I have prepared for you. And it is meant to encourage us. And if there's one thing that we need to be able to do as the church, and this will set the church apart from anything else in these times, is that we are a people of courage and encouragement. So let's turn over to Revelation and actually see some of these things that God has prepared for His people that is yet to come. Last week we talked about this new heaven and this new earth in Revelation chapter 21 as it began the chapter. Today we're going to pick it up in chapter or verse 9 of chapter 21. And again, John sees this vision. It says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having, having the glory of God. Its radiance like the most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lie four square, its length and the same as its width, width And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stanza. Its length and its width and its height are equal. He also measured its wall 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, clear as crystal. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel, First was jasper, then sapphire, the third was agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth 
on ox, the sixth caramelian, the seventh crystallite, the eighth burel, the ninth topaz, the tenth, a word that I can't pronounce, the eleventh, another word I can't pronounce, and the twelfth, another word I can't pronounce. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory... They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now we should all just say, wow. wow. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Can you just imagine for a minute, try and picture this city. As it's described literally, it is incredibly beautiful. Think for a minute as the glory of God, which is the light of this place, sparkling off all of these jewels. We know we see sunlight sparkle off jewels. We see the reflection of gold when the sun shines off of it. It's bright. It's glorious. It's radiant. This picture is what God has for His people. Now again, as we've been going through the book of Revelation, hopefully we've learned now as we interpret the book of Revelation, we focus in on the dialogue. Remember, all of these visions are pictures which are symbolic to represent what God is doing. There is one line of dialogue. That dialogue is one of the angels says to John, come, I will show you the bride the wife of the Lamb. Now for those of us who understand Scripture and for those of us that know what this actually means, what this angel is doing, it is taking John to see the church, the bride of Christ, you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been accepted into God's family and He has declared you his bride. Now for those of us that are men in the room, this might actually feel kind of strange. But this is a metaphor that God uses to communicate His love for His people, but also your role in what He wants to do. Part of what He wants to do is rule and reign with you, with me, for all of eternity. To have dominion. Part of the the whole picture that we see between a husband and wife is this ruling over a dominion that has been given to them. So of course, this picture that He's showing us is about you. 
It's about what God says about you. So now when we start to look at this metaphor, this picture of this holy city, we need to start asking the question, is it a real place? Yes, it is. It is a real place. We know that the new heavens and the new earth, they're real places. This new Jerusalem is a real place. It's not heaven, but yet it comes down out of heaven and is revealed to everyone. And it's a representation of what God has in store for you and I. And again, this is what actually happens after the millennial, after the judgment, after this recreation of earth and heaven where the new Jerusalem is the eternity and how God sees you. And He's really telling them this to encourage a people who have been downtrodden by all the events that have taken place. And we need to be reminded of this too. We need to be reminded of what God has in store for us which is yet to come. Well, here's how God sees you. And you may actually this morning as we go through this, you might be like, I don't know that I see myself this way. That's okay. If you don't see yourself this way because God will convince you that this is how He sees you. Here's the first one, is that God's people are beautiful. I want you to notice as we look at this description of this city, Verses 11 through 22 talk about this city. All of these rare jewels. There's a clearness. There's, there's one street, by the way, and I think sometimes we want to say that there's many streets in heaven. Well, there's only one. There's only one street. So here's the thing. We're all going to be neighbors living on the same street. All of believers through all of time are going to have this place on this one street. Now if your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, you get to be a part of this new Jerusalem. You get to be a part of the things that are described here. This city is adorned with every kind of jewel. The gates, think about this for a minute, the gates to the city, there's 12 of them, and they're made from each of them a single pearl. That's a pretty big pearl. And that's a pretty big oyster that it's come out of. You see, this is actually how God sees you. He sees you as we see gold. Right now, gold is trading at over $1,900 an ounce. It's very expensive. It's precious. Jewels in our world are heirlooms. Things that we pass on from one generation to another. We, they're keepsakes. They're things that we protect. We put them in safety deposit box because they're of great value to us. They are rare. 
You just can't go to the backyard and dig up a crystal. You can't go and find sapphire in your backyard. But this is how God sees you. And what's so cool is that there's so much of this jewel that is in this city, all of these jewels, all of this gold, is that it's in abundance in the New Jerusalem. Now, you may not feel worthy of gold and jewels. You may not even feel beautiful about your situation. But God sees you as worthy in His eyes. Now, for some of us, we actually really struggle with self-worth. Here we are in this broken world where sin and decay and all of these things have attacked the way we think about ourselves. And we need to constantly be reminded, especially for some of us, that that's not who we are in Christ. God looks at us as precious, as full of worth and beautiful. And if you would rather have the word handsome if you're a guy, of a great physique, of great stature, to make it hit home to you, then so be it. But God sees you as something that's very precious and beautiful to Him. And in the midst of all of the things that are going on in our world, it is so easy for us to forget this. When we are going through not being able to pay the bills because the groceries are so high now. I know in our house, we've gone from $200 a week in groceries now up to $300 a week in groceries. Gas, which we used to pay, our budget was in the neighborhood of $60 a week, and now we're talking about pushing that up to over $150 a week. And I'm not saying this as a pastor, by the way, because I want to raise. Please don't hear that. I'm just telling you. I'm telling you that this is what you're experiencing. And in the midst of all of this happening, it's easy to forget that God sees me as beautiful. That God actually cares about what we go through. And this picture of this new Jerusalem is Him reminding us, hey, I care. And I have a plan. You just need to endure. I love you. I think you're beautiful. Just keep on doing what you're doing. And we, right now, need to be encouraged by this every day. And we need to encourage each other. We need to be homes of encouragement. And sometimes when you're having this discussion with your spouse about the fact that you now have to decide what are we going to cut out of our budget because of all of these things happening, what are we going to have to give up? And I'm telling you, family, if World War III breaks out, we're going to have to start giving up a lot. Because our economy 
the world economy is going to tank. So to have these discussions and wrestle through what it means to sacrifice and still sit there and say to your spouse, to say to your kids, this is who we really are in God's eyes will be one of the biggest challenges as we go through this. Well, God doesn't just say that we are beautiful. He actually says more than that. And we, again, don't necessarily always see this. And that is that God's people, you, are radiant. Now, you're not radiant with radiation. You're radiant with the glory of God. As we look at this description, what we see that this city is covered in the glory of God. Now the glory of God is His holiness, His essence of His character shining outward. That's His glory. And when God is present, His glory is also present. What that means, this picture as we read through this description, and we see it all the way through this, Verse 11, it says, having the glory of God. This city has it. It's not come upon it. It's sort of in it and radiating out of it. And in the midst of all of this, we see God. His temple is not there. He Himself is the temple. And in fact, it says in verse 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. That glory is radiating from His people. Now, when we look around at each other, (laughs) we don't necessarily see this radiant glory shining off of each other. We are so bound by the things of this world. What we see when we look at each other is whether our hair is done or our makeup is right or the clothes that we're wearing. We're not looking at each other looking for the glory of God. But I want to remind you this morning, it's there. Let's go back to the apostles and what they taught One of the things that we see that the Apostle Paul taught in the letters that he wrote to the church is that you, as a follower of Jesus, having Christ inside of you, having Christ living inside of you, is the hope of your glory. And that is the glory of God. And every time that you and I are living and walking With Christ, there's this glory of God that radiates from us. And that's what God sees. You radiate the holiness of God. You radiate God's righteousness. What He's doing in you is a sure sign of your salvation. 
Now, for some of us, this, this almost sounds, it does, it sounds so metaphorical. But I want to remind you that in the midst of a world that is overwhelmed, you become something that they are either drawn to or repelled from. And it's not necessarily something that you can physically see, but what is happening in the supernatural realm is that you are radiating God's glory. I want to remind you of this. And in fact, you need to encourage yourself and the people around you and your family that you are radiating the glory of God. Husbands, tell your wives when they're having a hard time with all of the stuff that's going on, just put your hand on their shoulder, look into their eyes, men, and say to your wife, you radiate the glory of God today. Wives, do the same thing to your husbands. Come up beside them when they're struggling through trying to figure out how to deal with all of this stuff that's going on and put your hand on their shoulder, put your arms around them and whisper into their ears, you radiate the glory of God. You see, we need to be reminding ourselves of this so much. The reason why God tells us this is because this people that He's talking to are coming through overwhelming times. And when stuff gets messy, and when stuff gets hard, this is what we need to do. So do it. Do it in your families. Do it as a church. Because this is who we are. And in the face of all of the circumstances that are in front of us, we become the hope in this world. Amen. Here's the other thing that God sees about you. And again, this is so hard for us to see. And that is that God's people are pure. All the way through this description, this word keeps coming up. It just keeps coming up time and time again in the construction. There's a pureness to this construction. There's a wholeness. It's a cube, by the way. Four square Pure gold. Pure pearls. There's no defect at all in this city. And here's the thing. Only those, as it says near the end of the chapter, verse 27, but nothing unclean, unpure, will ever enter it. You see, how God sees His church, how He sees you is that you are pure. (laughs) And for some of us, this again, this is really hard for us to see because we're looking at ourselves through our own lens. We see our mistakes. We see our failures. We see all of the things that are wrong with us and not see this robe of righteousness that God has given to us through Christ that says you're pure. We say this all the time. We say that Christ has done the work on the cross for us. Christ died as our ransom to ransom us from the pain, the penalty of death. 
And he set us free. He lifted us out of the depths of sin and placed us in this new relationship where we, as far as God's concerned, are sinless. And for some of us, we struggle with that identity. And in the midst of when things are overwhelming, we get stuck in thinking this is all happening. God's punishing me because of all of my problems. Well, let me remind you that that's not how God works. Yes, He does correct us. Yes, He does bring stuff into our life that draws us back into a deeper relationship with us to correct us, to draw us closer to Him. But all the while, He still sees us as pure and right. You have no defect in Christ. And as we are here in the midst of these overwhelming situations, let us remember that God will take care of us because we are His. In the midst of all of the things that have happened to the people that originally read this letter for the very first time, they're looking at this going, oh yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you for the end that you have in mind. You see, this picture that God gives His people is, is meant to take us out of the mess and to refocus our attention, our courage, the things that we say to each other, on Him. And that's how we need to live today, tomorrow, next week, and the weeks to come. Because we don't actually know when all of these things in the book of Revelation will happen. Hopefully we're watching. Hopefully we're looking to the events that we see in our world and wondering and asking the question, is today the day, Lord? And if today is the day, then I, I need to be ready. And part of being ready is it, it just it says it so plain here. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. Verse 27, it says, But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There are books that God keeps in heaven. Not because He can't remember, but to make us understand that He's making note of this. We need to do everything in our power to understand and to know for sure. And if you're here today and you're questioning whether your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, come and talk to me. Because this is incredibly important for you to know. We all need to be sure in our own hearts that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. 
And if our name is written in the Lamb's book of life, then we have to say no to all of these other thoughts, all of these other things that sort of bombard us every day in the midst of an overwhelming world and say yes to what God says about us and what His plan for us is. Because family, there could be, I'm not saying there is, but there could be a time coming in the very near future where that's going to be the only thing that helps you through every day. And I pray, I pray that this, that this isn't, that this is not what it could become. If we see what's happening in the Ukraine expand out past the Ukraine, it's going to radically affect every single one of our lives like we have never experienced before. And in the midst of that, we need to know our God and the things that He has prepared for those that love Him. And that will carry us through. Because God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that is His promise to us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank You for Your Word. Lord, I thank You for the truth of Your Word as You have declared to us. Lord, I pray that, number one, we would be, first of all, encouraged by Your words that You have spoken to us. The things that You have prepared for us. That we would be encouraged by those things. But more than that, God, that we would today make a decision in our own hearts to be that encouragement to one another. That we would see our role as gathering together, as being a part of a family that worships God as an encouraging family. Lord, that we would make it our business to remind one another of how You see us beautiful. How Your glory rests on us. And how You have declared us pure in Your sight no matter what we think or how we feel. And Lord, in the midst of our overwhelming world that You would speak and remind us of these things. So God, we give You the glory. We give You the praise. For You alone are worthy. Thank You for lifting our feet out of the miry clay of this world and setting us on this mountain, this new Jerusalem, where we have hope and peace, joy, and a future that is way brighter and better than anything that we've ever experienced here in this world. And we pray all of this in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.